He's a veteran of the United States military. He's a retired police lieutenant. He was involved in a high-speed pursuit where he was shot in the head, crashed, and flipped his car 14 times. He survived with serious life-altering injuries, and he's here to tell the story. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Calling us from Oklahoma, we have retired Police Lieutenant Charles Neal on the phone. Charles, thanks for much joining us. Oh, thank you. First of all, I got to say this. I am so bad with pronouncing names of towns and cities in Oklahoma. I can do Oklahoma City and Tulsa. That's about it. What's the department you retired from? What was the name of it? Uluga Police Department. See, I'd, I wouldn't say that right in a month of Sundays. Just there's no way yes, I'm going to get it right. <laughs> I read somewhere that, was it Will Rogers was born in that area? Yes, he was. But he wouldn't claim it because he said no one could pronounce it, so he claimed another town clear, nearby. Yes, sir. Right. We're going to talk about an incident. You uh, are a U.S. military veteran, and you're also retired now. You didn't retire because you wanted to. You retired because you got hurt, and you got hurt badly. Yes, sir. I was uh, involved in a pursuit, and I was shot and rolled my car several times. And uh, recovery was about three years, and after that, I was forced to retire. So you've been left with that with permanent injuries. Uh, what what type of injuries did you sustain in this? Yeah, I was uh, I was shot in the head and I blacked out. My car rolled several times. Uh, I damaged my uh, my neck, back, both arms, elbows, and uh, wrist. I have a, a neuro neurostimulator implanted in my back to help uh, block some of the pain that was causing my head during the wreck. First of all, I'm so grateful you survived. I wish you weren't injured. It, it's one of those catch-22s for so many people that I've talked to in the Law Enforcement Today show that, and we'll get into the reasons why in a few moments, sometimes the worst-case scenario, and people always misunderstand when I say this, sometimes the worst-case scenario is not being killed on the duty. Sometimes it's surviving because the struggles that the wounded officer and family go through afterwards. I would say that's true. You're not the only one that says that, brother. I've heard that from so many, so many people. You were shot in 2015, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Before we get into the details of that, one of the things I was told early on from like day one of the police academy was that if something bad happens to you, we got your back. We'll take your family will be taken care of. And what I found out is what that really means is that. And don't get me wrong, we're not talking about the departments here. We're talking about the cities, the counties, the states, those government people. What that really means is if you're killed in line of duty, everybody will be taken care of. If you survive, you're on your own. Yes, that's true. That's been your experience. Yes, it has during this whole thing. That's pretty much been the 
experience that I've had. Let's go back to the day of the incident, May of 2015. Just from the beginning, lead us into what happened and the events as best you can remember. Yes, it was May 28, 2015. Uh, just came on duty, uh, filled up my patrol vehicle, and I received a call to an assistant officer in the town north of ours. And uh, I, re- I responded, went to a system. Uh, it was for a traffic stop. We both walked up to the vehicle. There were uh, three individuals inside the vehicle. Uh, the driver handed over his driver's license. It was a Mexican driver's license. And then he immediately decided to take off. And uh, we ran back to our patrol vehicles and gave pursuit of the vehicle. And at that time, they started shooting out of the back window of the SUV. And the lead car, he fell back because his window was shot out. So I drove past him on the shoulder and uh, took over lead. Uh, we pursued the vehicle for about 30 miles, which time we were close to the Oklahoma-Kansas border. And one of their rounds finally struck me, came through the windshield, struck me in the forehead. I uh, blocked out. My car went off the road. I was doing 110 miles an hour. Uh, the car whirled about 14 times before stopping on the roof of the vehicle. Um, I was told the, the car then started on fire. And uh, another officer from their agency uh, dragged me, pulled me through the window. I don't know how, but she did. And I was flown to a hospital here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's a catastrophic incident, Charles, to, to A, to be shot. What what kind of round was it? You said it was a rifle? Yes, it was a two two three round. So that's, that's a, I'm not a ballistics expert, but that's a very, very tough weapon to survive being shot at. And you're, you're driving 100 plus miles an hour. The guy's shooting at you repeatedly and a round hits you in the forehead. You lose consciousness. Your vehicle goes out of control flips and rolls many times, and then catches on fire. To me, and I don't want to sound overly dramatic, it's a miracle that you survived. Yes, the uh, neurosurgeon I had in the the emergency room, uh, he was actually a military veteran, and he had seen many uh, gunshot wounds to the head. And uh, he told told us it was a miracle that my neck didn't break upon impact or that the bullet uh, didn't go in further to my brain. So it did penetrate your skull? Yes. I would think that part of the reason why it didn't do more damage, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, is, again, I'm no ballistics expert, but when you hit a vehicle windshield, depending on the angle, it can cause the round to really deform and slow down massively. So that by the time that hits you, it was already much larger than the 223 round originally fired, wasn't it? Yes, and we believe that when the round struck the windshield, it slowed it down just enough that that it didn't uh, penetrate my forehead all the way. How old were you when this happened? I was 38. So right now you're in your early 40s, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <sighs> this is quite honestly, we've had so many guests on a law enforcement show. We've had many officers have been severely wounded. Um, I've had survivors on. I've had spouses on. Uh, an Oklahoma sheriff's, I mean, a sheriff sergeant who was shot in a SWAT operation was on. His wife was on. And I'll be honest with you, Charles, I still don't know what to say. The only thing I can say is this. I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry that you and your family had to go through this. 
Yeah, thank you. And that, that, that's the type of thing that even though, and I can't speak for everybody who works in law enforcement, but even though this is something that's a, a possibility for all of us, I don't think any of us ever thinks that, hey, this is going to happen to me. And certainly, I've never once in my life thought, somebody's going to shoot out a window of a moving car and hit me in the head and I'm going to crash and we're going to catch on fire. That's the kind of scenario that, did you ever think that would happen? No, that's never, never thought it would happen. And that's, we don't believe every day, you know, we don't think that when we go to work that today's the day I'm going to get shot. Uh, but it, it, it is a risk that we, that we know we're taking, but we never imagined that it could happen to us. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with retired police lieutenant Charles Neal from Oklahoma. He was shot in the head during a high-speed pursuit, had a severe, horrible accident with his patrol car, barely survived, and some would say the biggest struggle was yet to come. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Back to our conversation with retired police lieutenant Charles Neal. He was shot in the head during a high-speed pursuit, had a horrible accident with his patrol car as a result of those injuries. Vehicle caught fire. Uh, he was severely injured. Charles, when we left before going to break, you, you talked about this incident, and you were obviously unconscious. You say blacked out, but the word I think people would say unconscious. How can you not be after being shot in the head? Yes, after the impact and blacked out. And the vehicle, did it strike anything? We believe it struck a uh, tree stump, and that's what caused it to flip end over end, and then it eventually went into a roll after that. And then the vehicle caught fire, rolled, landed upside down, and you said yeah. another officer pulled you to safety outside the, out of the burning car through the window. Yes, I, I don't know how. If you look at the photos of the patrol vehicle, there's only about a foot between the roof and the door. That somehow she managed to pull me out, and she was maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. It's a miracle that she was able to pull me out when, with all my duty gear on. That kind of bravery, that kind of adrenaline, uh, I've seen the smallest of officers be able to pull off what you think would be Herculean feats of strength. Uh, if you talk to her at all, please tell her I said thank you for her service and for what she did to, to help save your life. I will. And by the way, thank you for your service. Uh, so you were severely injured. This is another tough part to talk about. Uh, the best of your knowledge from what you understand, what will happen next? Um, well, I, I understand uh, as they, they got me out of the car, they called in a, a helicopter to airlift me out. And uh, I remember coming to, and uh, one of the guys on the, one of the EMTs on the ambulance was a friend of mine. And uh, they say, he says I told him to uh, call my wife, tell her I was okay and to take the kids to their grandmother's house. And uh, he, he contacted my wife actually through, uh, through Messenger, and uh, she was watching, all, watching it all unfold on TV and had no idea that it was me. And he, he texted her, told her that it was me. You, you came too long enough to say, call my wife and let her know I'm okay. And obviously you weren't okay. <laughs> yes, obviously I wasn't okay, but... 
that, that's what I told him to tell my wife. So she was notified via text or, or Facebook Messenger. That was her yeah, initial it was, notification. Yes, yeah, so it was through Messenger. You know, because that's one of the EMTs was a friend of mine, and he knew me and my wife. So I, I can't begin her. to imagine the, the instant fear that went through her mind. Yes, I couldn't either. Because, uh, well, he said that you that you're okay so she probably didn't think the worst case scenario yet right no she didn't yet was there a follow-up the official notification from the department yes uh one of the officers from the department uh went to our house to, to pick her up and uh had told her that i was injured and that he was as a courtesy he was going to give her a ride up to the hospital where i was and that sounded like it was, hey, you know, he stubbed his toe and he's got a maybe broken toe and ankle. It, it, nothing about that was this a life-threatening situation, was it? No, it wasn't. He was trying to keep her calm. And um, uh, she actually started to notice how fast he was driving. And that's when it dawned on her that it was a little more serious than, you know, just a stubbed toe. And tell her that if she ever wants to tell her story, she's welcome to come on the show later on. And w- without getting into her story, what was her initial reaction when she saw you at the hospital? Uh, I, I can't really remember. That's something I'd have to ask ask her about. Okay, fair enough. And that, that's understandable. When you got to the hospital, you were in and out of consciousness. How severe were your injuries? Uh, uh, I had a uh, traumatic brain injury. The, the bullet impacted on my left side forehead uh i had to have the problems with speech uh, walking uh, and severe balance issues the left side of your brain it controls your fine motor skills um speech and uh, memory and stuff like that short-term memory did they were they ever fearful that you may not make it when you first got there uh, yes when I, when I first got there they were you know it's all there what i've been told all there was just a hole in my forehead uh, they weren't quite sure if the bullet was still in there or even w- what happened to the bullet that struck me in the forehead. Without being too graphic, uh, obviously it, it didn't go in and bounce around and it didn't exit. Were they able to retrieve the projectile from your head? No. Uh, I was told when, when they pulled me out of the car, though, I was told that they could see the the bullet stuck in the hole in my head. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, uh, somewhere between... You being put on the stretcher and into the hot into the helicopter, yeah, it's gotten lost. I haven't seen it. But. This is one of those deals where uh, truth is oftentimes stranger than fiction. If you wrote this for Hollywood, I don't think anyone would believe it. But this really happened, and there's actually dash cam video of your vehicle. Uh, there's photos. There's plenty of news articles. And yeah. you sustained massive injuries that took about how long for your total medical recuperation from start to finish? Uh, it's going on now, uh, about three and a half years. Uh, I, I still have to see a neurologist. I have a lot of problems with uh, migraine headaches, lots of pain in my neck and back. I had a, several messed up discs in my back and my neck. So it's something I'm still dealing with on a day-to-day basis and you could have very easily been 
non-communicative afterwards with that kind of injury. You said it struck the side of your brain, which controls speech and motor skills and walking and all that. And yet here we are having a conversation that you would never know from listening to the phone conversation that you've been through this. No, I, I went through about uh, two and a half years of uh, speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, learning how to pretty much how to talk again and how to walk again. That's amazing that uh, yeah. y- you could raise him and killed if it wasn't from the gunshot wound, from the, the accident that followed. And yet here you are walking and talking and telling us all about this. Yes, everybody tells me there's definitely a higher purpose for me out there. There certainly is. I, this is the kind of deal, Charles, to be honest with you, where you go, look, there's a reason why I'm still alive. I, from my perspective, I think about some of the things I went through and how close I came. Nothing like yours. But there's obviously some reason why I'm here. And I think part of that is to try to help other first responders, not just law enforcement, but their families, and also to let members of our communities know the reality of what these officers face on a daily basis. Yes. And it's not like Hollywood. It's not It's not like the movies. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've stopped watching Hollywood cop shows a long time ago. I now watch ones from BBC because they do a much better job. I don't know British policing techniques or policies, but they do a much better job of developing the 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 characteristics of the person behind the badge when i think ours just does a horrible job we're talking with retired police lieutenant charles neal we're talking about the day he was shot in the head during a high-speed pursuit and the accident that followed which caused serious severe life-altering injuries we'll be talking more about that in just a few moments don't go anywhere If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's j-a-y at letradio.com. Turn our conversation with Charles Neal, retired police lieutenant from Oklahoma. Back in May of 2015, you were in a high-speed pursuit. A lot of gunfire from the vehicle you were chasing, and they wound up shooting you in the forehead with a 223 rifle, which caused you to lose control of your vehicle, crash, flip many times, and severe injuries. You said that you were, we call life-flighted with a helicopter from the scene to the hospital. Do you remember much of that? helicopter ride i don't remember much uh i can I remember coming to and seeing three three people in the helicopter when uh later i, I got a, had a chance to meet the pilots and uh he told me that there, there were only two people in the helicopter and i still to this day didn't know there was three people in there and any ideas who that third person was or might have been no i don't know i guess it's somebody watching over me yeah again without sounding like hokey pokey stuff i firmly believe that there's a higher power watching out for us uh, many times and I, I get uncomfortable saying that charles not because of my beliefs but because of the ones that were killed that that something was watching out for me or watching out for you then there's the 
assumption they weren't watching out for them. And I just can't, I can't buy that. Yeah. So you, you made it through. I was reading an article about what you went through, and the Life Flight helicopter was right around a $36,000 bill. Is that correct? Yes, sir, it was. And who got the bill? We did. Uh, about nine months after all this happened, we, we started receiving uh, medical bills in the mail uh, asking for payment. Uh, we ended up having to uh, go to court, and the uh, judge had to order the insurance company to start paying the medical bills. We say insurance company talking about uh, the workers' compensation insurance from the state. Yes, our workers' compensation system is ran by uh, for-profit insurance companies, and uh, they're not always on top of things. No, that's an understatement, and that's not not just an Oklahoma thing. That's many parts of the United States that these officers get severely injured in the line of duty doing their job, and back to what we're told. I'm sure you heard the suit. We'll take care of you. We got your back. You don't need to worry. Turns out the departments have your back. They'll do anything they can to help you. But when it gets out of their hands, into the hands of the city, the county, state, and workers' compensation and lawyers, it's a totally different story, isn't it? Yes, it's a total story. Your, your department's right there with you. But uh, dealing with a private insurance company, I had a, a traumatic brain injury, and uh, they refused to send me out of state, even though. There's an awesome uh, brain institute in Dallas, or even uh, the Mayo Clinic has a great brain institute. They they refused to send me out of state, so we had to search all of Oklahoma to try to find a doctor that specializes in uh, brain injuries being being shot in the head. This is so incredibly unfair. I don't know what other words to use. First of all, when an officer gets injured... Let's just say, like many of us, you've got your salary, you've got overtime, we're working to try to make more to help our family, and then when you get injured in the line of duty, you wind up getting a pay cut to about roughly 70, 75% of your pay. And so you take a, a big pay cut, then you start getting whacked with all these bills because the workers' compensation doesn't want to pay for it, and you've got to find attorneys on your own. Is that an understatement? No, it's not an understatement. Um you know, you have to find attorneys on your own. Uh, your spouse, you know, they have to take off of work because I have I've had over 300 appointments. So uh, my wife was constantly having to take off work. And at the time, I was working two, two full-time jobs at two different departments. And so it was a dramatic, dramatic pay cut after I was injured. So add into the, all the, the stress of the injury or in your case, the, the multiple injuries, uh, the rehabilitation, the doctor's appointments, trying to find your new normal with your physical health and getting to the best state possible, adding to that all the financial fear and worry, how, does, how do you deal with that? Um, one day at a time, uh, relying on, on, on the neighborhood to help you along with it. You know, it was a very, very hard time. I see this all the time on Facebook. I say, can you donate to help this wounded officer? And my first thought is, why aren't these departments? Why aren't these cities? Why aren't these counties and states taking care of them? They, they told us. They promised us. We would take care of you. We've got your back. And that seems to not be the case more often than not. Yes, that's true. How badly did this affect your, your family financially? It's, it was a very trying time for us we ended up losing our house we had to sell several cars and we're, we're still squeezing through it right now 
I'm unable to return to work. And uh, here in Oklahoma, the workers' comp system, yeah, there's no no settlements. So now, even now, as I'm was forced to retire, uh, I, I don't get a pension. I don't get any kind of payment. Pretty much, uh, they told me just to get on social, social security disability. Wait a minute, you you lost your house. You don't have a pension, and you're put on social security disability, which is about how much? It's about a thousand three hundred a month. And this is what you and your family are supposed to live off of for the rest of your life? Yeah, that's the hard part. And I have three three children, uh, all three boys, and they're starting to reach their teenage years. It's almost impossible to live off of a thousand three hundred a month for my my work and. My wife's a school teacher, so she's not the highest paid occupation out there either. No, they're they're not, and they're quite a bit like our law enforcement. They're very dedicated. They have a calling. That's why they do these things. It's not to get rich. Yes. But the thought that you lost your home because you were shot by criminals, I, I, I quite honestly don't know how to reply respond to that. And you're not the first guy I've talked to that this has happened to. No, I'm not the first first at all. There's been several more before me. And I'm sure there'll be several more after. And it's not like you slipped and fell or you removed a file cabinet and you made some false claim uh, trying to milk an injury to my lower back. Dude, you were shot in the in the head going 110 miles an hour, crashed, the car caught on fire. You've had, what, what 300 doctor's appointments or medical appointments, and your life has forever changed. Yes, I, I kind of compare it to my, my NASCAR wreck. If you know, if you look at NASCAR, they have these high-speed accidents. But those drivers, you know, they're belted in with the five-point five harnesses. Their head is secure to the cage. I mean, and as officer, we don't we don't have any of that. So, of no. course, the car rolling so many times. You know, your your computer breaks off. Your uh, my shotgun and rifle broke free. So I was rolling around in the car with all, all that stuff hitting me in the head and hitting me elsewhere on the body. I was really lucky that I had my seatbelt on at the time. And that's another thing I always say. I remember being a rookie police, and I, I would not put my seatbelt on because I'm right-handed, and it always tangled up with your gun belt. And I'd say, what if I need it really, really quickly? And then I had a good friend who was hit, and he always wore a seatbelt. He is hit in a very bad accident. He survived, thank goodness. And from that day on, I always wore a seatbelt. So what I always tell any type of law enforcement people, I don't care if you're only going out to get donuts. You, you back the station. Put on your vest and put on your seatbelt. Those two simple things can save your life. You've got so many more battles to fight as a result of surviving this horrific attack. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It is time to get off the sidelines and share your story. Join us at Creative Con in Chicago at the Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, where you'll learn actionable strategies from experts and doers to turn your dreams into reality. Our keynote speakers, panelists, expert-led workshops, and networking opportunities will help you overcome your roadblocks and effectively share your message to the masses. Creative Con is where you'll find confidence, community, and a clear roadmap to success. If you've ever doubted yourself, this is your chance to step out of your comfort zone and make your creative dreams a reality. Visit creativecon.com, that's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N.com to secure your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it, write it, live it. 
back to our conversation with retired police lieutenant Charles Neal from Oklahoma. Charles, I'm struggling for the right words because I'll be honest with you, I'm very, very angry uh, about what's happened to you. And I don't want people to misconstrue my anger as being directed at your police department that you work for. Uh, because quite often, they really work hard to try to help their people, and then it comes a point where it's beyond their control. How would you describe how you were treated by them? Uh, treated pretty good by the actual police department itself. They, they continue to make up the difference in pay for the first year. But uh, after the first year, actually, the the town council voted to stop paying me the, the little bit that they were paying me. So, you know, there's not much that your department can do when uh, – when it's out of their hands, it's into the insurance company's hands. There's, there's almost nothing they can do. No, Once the, the lawyers and the accountants, everybody else get involved, there's nothing they can do about it. But you're, the town council that you work for decided we're going to stop paying you. Yes, they did. That was a real uh, stab in the back. Again, I'm going to say this so people can, can get it. We've been told our entire careers, if something bad happens to you, we'll take care of you. And I've heard that not just from police administration we heard it from city council city hall and turns out that's not the case and quite often with city hall and your case charles they lied yeah so you got retired not that long ago and when you say retired my first thought is and this is my own personal experience when i got hurt and my career was over and the doctors and the lawyers all said you can never go back to policing again blah 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 i had to go through the whole legal system not sure what would happen whether it be fired quit retired or whatever and i i got my pension i was retired i thought it'd be on easy street and turns out i wasn't because everything changed financially but it wasn't anywhere near as severe as yours you've gone from uh what what were you making with overtime and your two full-time salaries oh it easily 1500 a week I was working uh, full-time for Uligaw Police Department and also full-time for Roger State University. And you went from that to 1300 a month? Yes, sir. And you, a, you, you and your family lost your house because of this? Yeah, we, we had to sell our house, and uh, we ended up moving closer to where my wife teaches at. Um, in Oklahoma, they, they capped the, the payments that you can receive every week to 350 I believe it was. Their workers' compensation or the state laws? Yes, workers' compensation. If you had been, and I, I don't want you to talk about this because it might be just too upsetting. For those listening, understand this. If, if Charles, like any law enforcement officer, was killed that day, his family would have received uh, state life insurance, city or county life insurance, and federal life insurance, and quite often they would get uh, his full-time pay for the rest of their lives. But since you survived, you went where you get $1,300 a month. And that's not an understatement. That's that's all you get. Yes, yeah, so that's that's all I get. You know, they uh, force you to retire. And, and unfortunately, we there's no pension system. There's nothing to fall back on. Uh, I've applied for the uh, Department of Justice has a program called the Public Safety Officers Benefit. Uh-huh. And uh, they help out uh, officers who are critically injured in the line of duty. But uh, we're three years into that process and still haven't heard anything back. And even if they got what you're entitled to with that, it wouldn't be anywhere near what you should get. 
No, it wouldn't be anywhere near. In, in Oklahoma, they've changed the workers' comp system to where there's no settlement. So it's it's almost impossible to find legal representation. As we had to find an attorney that would pretty much work for free. Uh, but if it's, if it's the roles were reversed, let's just say this. If you were driving your police car at 110 miles an hour and you accidentally shot and killed a guy who was a fleeing felon and just did a bank robbery and his family turned around and sued, uh, the state and county or city will settle with them, won't they? Oh, yes. Yeah, just like we've seen several times uh, around the country, uh, people get $3 million because they were shot by an officer. You know, but when when we get shot, we're just pushed off to the side, and everyone forgets about it. And part of me just, and granted, this is is because I'm retired police too. That that I've got skin in the game, as they say, and it just I hate seeing this happen to people. And I would hate it equally as much if they, if you were a school teacher, or if you were a firefighter, or a corrections officer, or driving a concrete truck. Don't get me wrong. If if you are doing your job and you are hurt, do the criminal actions of someone else, and they are permanent, life altering, life changing injuries. You should be taken care of, and you shouldn't have to worry about whether I can pay my bills. Yes, you shouldn't. Okay, I'm gonna get off my soapbox for a little bit because I'm getting too ramped up and. Uh, after all this, I'm amazed that you have a fairly decent attitude. Uh, how do you, or what do you credit that to? That you seem to be, in spite of all this you've gone through, Charles, you still seem to be kind of positive and upbeat. Yes, uh, I've, I've had great, great organizations around me that have that have helped me out in my times of need, and uh, and I'm still involved in stuff now to to still help and give back to the community. And what do you do to try to keep a positive attitude and to be okay with where you're at? I uh, try to work on legislation to get passed here at the local level, state level, and even the federal level. There's change that needs to come in our workers' comp systems. Uh, workers' rights have, have diminished over the last 50 years. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to learn that you can be totally d- disabled at your place of employment and you get furnished thrown in the trash and hung out to dry and it's it's happened to so many uh, that that are in limbo that have been through what you've been through uh, i know officers in texas that uh have been on the show with us before that uh, smaller departments that were shot severely injured barely survived and they lost everything and they live on, as one would say, one friend of mine would say, we lived on rice and cornbread for years because we couldn't afford to eat. Yes, that's truly how it is. And especially in like my situation, when you have three teenage boys that, that love to eat. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was a teenage boy, you couldn't fill me up. And it's a hard time filling me up now. <laughs> so, but yeah. back then, oh, yeah, forget about it. First question people might have is, well, what about, for FOP, I've been a member of them for since 1980. What about FOP, PBA, or something like that? Do you guys not have that type of collective bargaining? Unfortunately, here in Oklahoma, uh, most departments don't. Uh, something around 97% of Oklahoma's departments have less than 10 officers. So not very many agencies here are, are our members of the FOP. I'm going to have to reach out between you and me and everybody listening. By the way, if you know some organization that can help, I'm going to reach out to my friends at Southern States PBA, uh, see what they can do. 
there's a violently injured police officers organization out of Massachusetts, Maria Oliveira and Bob DiNapoli. Phenomenal people doing awesome things. We'll reach out to them. It, it's amazing that we even have to have this conversation. I would like to have a conversation where in the future, if someone goes through what you go through, that they're saying, hey, life's not good, but at least I don't have to worry about keeping my, my paying my power bill. Yeah. What advice would you have to America that's listening right now? Their biggest misconception about what it's like uh, for law enforcement officers in the United States. I would just have to say to uh, always support your officers. You know, an officer goes to work every day not knowing whether that'll be the day that they won't return home to their family. Uh, we need organizations to uh, support injured officers, and uh, we need better laws and better programs to help injured employees. And a last note before we end. Has the news media been in support of you? For the most part, yes, they have. We're uh, you know here in Oklahoma, so uh, everybody here is, has pretty much been, been in support of Charles Neal, thanks so much for your service, and thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us all about this. Yeah, thank you, sir. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.